right, well, welcome to church. Glad you're here. If you could be seated and grab your Bibles with you. Uh, whether you've got a printed copy or a digital copy, whatever is your jam, go ahead and pull it out. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and then we're going to look at some scripture in Hebrews a little bit later. Acts chapter 1. And uh, as we begin this new collection and jump into a new study, this study is going to take us all the way through Christmas time, Advent season. So we're going to spend some time in this book, get to know it, follow it, read it, learn study it together, grow from it. Um, but uh, we're going to start here in the very beginning, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In honor of God's word, would you please stand as we read scripture? I'll read out loud. If you don't have a copy with you to follow along, just kind of close your eyes and receive the words as they're read over you and to us as a family. Acts 1, starting in verse 1, this is what the word says. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same manner and the same way that you saw him go. This is the word of the Lord. And all the people of God said, amen. Hey, you can be seated. As we begin this study, I want to encourage you to do something. For those of you that have a, a Fresh Start Bible, which we have available for free out in the lobby, you can pick one up. Uh, there are paperback copies of it. I encourage you to, to grab a copy if you don't have one or if you don't have a printed Bible. Man, this is a, a great one to begin with. Um, if, if you want to buy the Bible, it's already been paid for, but you can pay it forward and help provide Bibles for somebody in the future. It's one of the ways we do generosity here. Uh, but in the beginning of the Fresh Start Bible, as with most printed versions of Scripture that you would have, before any one book in the Bible begins, there is an introduction 
where it gives you a summary and information around some of the background to who the original audience is. Gives you some dated information as to about when it was written. It gives you some information on some important themes to pay attention to as you read and understand what's happening. And I would encourage you to do that as well. There's also another resource, and we're going to make use of it here this morning, called The Bible Project. And on The Bible Project, they do lots of these kinds of introductory videos, as well as other theme studies and uh, resources that help you understand and interact with Scripture better. But I want us to begin with an understanding of what this book is all about as we begin to study it together. So if you would, turn your attention to the screen, and let's check out this overview video. The Book of Acts. It's the second volume of a unified two-part work that today we call Luke-Acts. These were written by the same author, Luke, who was a traveling co-worker with Paul. This is clear from the book's introduction where Luke says, I produced my first volume, that's the gospel, about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now Luke's giving a clue here as to what this book of Acts will be about. Volume 1 was about what Jesus began to do and to teach. Volume 2 will then be about what Jesus continued to do and teach. Which leads to a really interesting point about the book's traditional but not original name, the Acts of the Apostles. While different apostles do appear in most of these stories, the only single character who unifies the whole story from beginning to end is Jesus himself, acting directly or through the Spirit. And so the book would more accurately be named The Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. The book's introduction recounts how the risen Jesus spends some 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This connects back to the story of Luke's gospel, where Jesus claimed that he was restoring God's kingdom over the world, beginning with Israel. So he called Israel to live under God's reign by following him. And he was enthroned as king when he gave up his life and then conquered death with his love. And so the book of Acts begins with the risen King Jesus instructing his disciples about life in his kingdom. So he promises that the Spirit will soon come and immerse them in his personal presence. And this fulfills one of the key hopes from the Old Testament prophets, that in the messianic kingdom, God's presence, his Spirit, would come and take up residence among his people in a new temple and transform their hearts. And so Jesus says, when this happens, the Spirit will empower his disciples to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. From here, Jesus is taken up from their sight in a cloud. It's an image drawn from the book of Daniel, chapter 7. It shows how Jesus is now being enthroned as the Son of Man who was vindicated after his suffering and now shares in God's rule over the world. And so he promises that he will return one day. And so the main themes and the design of the book of Acts flow right out of this opening chapter. This is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign. And so the story will begin with that message spreading in Jerusalem and then into the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria full of non-Jewish people. And then from there out to all of the nations into the ends of the earth. Now that we've kind of oriented ourselves a little bit to around this. I, I want to take the time that remains to, to do three things. One, to continue to help you understand the background. I want to talk about the importance of the ascension today. And I want to introduce the mission that God has cement, uh, commanded us to walk in. 
As we continue to understand a little bit of the background of this book, this book is written by Luke, a physician, a historian, who traveled in companionship with Paul, but also was compiling eyewitness accounts of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so when you read the Gospel of Luke, it's the same writer here in the book of Acts. And, and he's write, writing to a man uh, or, or to a recipient that he calls Theophilus. Now, the word Theophilus literally means uh, love, uh, lover and friend of God. Lover and friend of God is what Theophilus means. Now, that's led some people to wonder, is that an actual Roman official? Is it just kind of a, a code name for someone who doesn't want to be named? Or is it a real name? Uh, some people even uh, have wondered if it's just simply an epithet, um, kind of giving a, a title uh, or concealing someone's address, just trying to describe all of the general readers that would one day read this book. I know for me, I want to consider myself a friend and someone who loves Jesus, and I too am reading this book. If you're going to ask me personally where I land in the study of all those, I actually think it was a person uh, who was under a pseudoname, uh, not wanting to be known who they were. I find that, that to be the most compelling argument in the historical documents as to who is actually receiving this. But as with all of the Bible, it is not written specifically to you and to me. But it is for us. And it contains some theology in it. The book of Acts is primarily narrative. Lots and lots of stories. And it covers a period from A.D. 30 to A.D. 64. So about a 34-year span of time are these stories that are being told and uncovered. And I think it's important to realize that the clear message of this book is Acts. Not passive listening. Acting. It's about demonstration. It's about embodying a belief in a way that looks like allegiance to Jesus as king. It's, uh, I think, important for us to realize that he says in the very beginning, I am writing this in my first book. I wrote to you of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And now is a continuation of all of those things. This is the to-be-continued part two of the cliffhanger episode that he left in the first writing. This is Luke's attempt to help us understand what Jesus modeled and did was paralleled by what the early apostles taught and did. In fact, when you start really digging into some of the, the, the things that Peter did, that Paul did, you will find those exactly parallel what Jesus did and said and how he went about his own ministry. There are crazy amount of parallels that you'll see as you, if you really wanted to get geeky with it and do some deep dive into the text themselves. Jesus came talking and proclaiming about a kingdom that would come. And for these last 40 days while Jesus was with them, he did things to help them know I'm really alive. I'm not like some spirit ghost talking to you right now. I'm here with you now, which is really important because they did not die. The apostles did not give their lives because Jesus taught some really good and revolutionary things. They died because they believed he was king and he was alive. It was because of the resurrection that they were unwilling to relent on that statement that Jesus is the resurrected king. It was that that cost them their life. 
And Jesus spent in this 40 days many times, I love that it says it, convincing them that he really was real and that he really was there. And he taught to them about the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's not just a message about forgiveness. The gospel is a message of a completion of a story found in a man named Jesus who is king over all. As a church, we spent over a year studying the King Jesus gospel through the book of Matthew. We spent an entire year as a family studying, learning, examining, understanding all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. This year, we want to spend the rest of our time together this year studying scripture, realizing how we are called to be a radiant church that parallel, repeat, and represent the kingdom of God in our lifetime. How we can be empowered by the Spirit to live out the call and the commission that Jesus has given to us. Because Jesus is a king, his ascension is really, really important. And so Luke wrote, here's the beginning, here's what's happening, it's all about Jesus, what he began to do and teach, but now I want to tell you about the very first act that Jesus did, the very first act and event recorded in the book of Acts is Jesus' ascension to heaven. Somebody say ascension. Say it really fast because it's fun. Go ahead, say ascension. Say it again, ascension. uh, You're going to get tongue-tied real quick. The ascension. What is the big deal other than when we read it, we're like, seriously, like the man was there and then a cloud showed up and he floated up to the sky and they couldn't see him no more. And all of a sudden two dudes in white were standing around him saying, yo, like that just seems a little bit trippy. What was in the communion juice they were having? Like we're all trying to figure there is something more than just the mystical craziness that was occurring although it was a pretty wild scene. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there? You're up on a mountain. You're talking with him, and all of a sudden, the cloud begins to come down. And Jesus is saying, hey, go wait into the room in Jerusalem, and I'm going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be a witness, and it's going to be incredible, and don't worry. And as he's saying these things, something is happening, and you're seeing Jesus. It seems like he's floating up, and then he's gone, and you can see him no more. And all of a sudden, you hear a voice, men of Galilee, like, like I love that the Bible puts that little note in there. I find great humor in moments like that. Can you imagine walking down the hall and all of a sudden your kid walks around and is like, hey, mom! You're like, oh. like, y'all get startled. Like, your heart starts to skip a little bit faster than it normally does. Like, can you imagine this moment for a minute? Here they are. And Jesus has just done all these things. They, they thought they lost him in a tomb and now a cloud's taken him? But you just got back. Like, where are you going? There's something important that's taking place in this moment. This ascension is the completion of something important. I want to show you why the ascension is so important. First, let's, let's talk a little bit about how the cloud comes down. That was kind of an interesting thing. But this is not the first time a cloud shows up with something transcendent occurring. 
In fact, the cloud itself is linking back to several other places in Scripture where the unseen space of heaven interlocks with the seen realm of earth. One commentary says it like this, Jesus was leaving the earth and the only way to lead the earth is upwards. After all, we do not really imagine that heaven is just up, just outside our atmosphere, as if we could get there in a spaceship. Quick spoiler alert, you can't get there in a spaceship. Just wanted you to know. We should not imagine that the cloud that hid him from their sight was an ordinary cloud in the sky either. This is the same sort of cloud that we find at the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. We also see a cloud coming down in Exodus 16. We see a cloud referenced in Psalm 104 and verse 3. The cloud that is coming down is the revelation of the divine glory of God. It is the overlapping and the unveiling of the unseen and the seen world coming in contact with each other. It is a beautiful moment of recognizing Jesus was not just a man, he was God's man. He wasn't just a human, he was divine incarnate. He was in heaven, came to earth, and now was returning back to heaven as victorious king. John Calvin says it like this, Christ's ascension into heaven was the real commencement of his reign. Kings are the ones that sit on thrones. Heavenly kings sit on heavenly thrones. What, what was it that was happening in this moment? Here's what's happening in this moment. We see a glimpse of it in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, the, Daniel the prophet is having this, this vision of something apocalyptic, something in the future, something that had not happened yet. And it's a, a really marvelous and wonderful set of, of things that he was seeing. But let me highlight one component that he was seeing at the end of his vision, which is indeed the scene that was commencing as Jesus was ascending into heaven. This is what he saw. Daniel 7, starting in verse 13, says, As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language could obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel was seeing a vision of what was happening. What was happening? Jesus was ascending into heaven, sitting on his throne as now king over all. And God, the ancient one, was giving him all authority, all power, all sovereignty, all rule, so that every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, not just the Jewish people, but every nation could come and find healing and hope in this son of man who is God himself. Hebrews tells us a little bit more of, of what was happening in the ascension. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 24 through 28 with me. It says this, 
For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. In other words, Christ, while he died here on earth, when he ascended into heaven, there was also something he was entering, heaven's version of the tabernacle and temple that we have here on earth. It was a copy, a replica, a parallel understanding of the two. He goes on to say this, he entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on your behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. No, if that had been necessary... Christ would have had to die again and again and again and again ever since the world began. But now, what do you mean now? Now that he ascended, now that he went back to heaven, now that Jesus left the earth temple and is now in the heavenly temple, something else can happen. But now, once for all time, Jesus has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again. He will come again. Not to deal with our sin. He's already paid that payment. He doesn't need to double pay. Not to deal with our sin, but to bring, don't miss this, salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Eagerly waiting for him. Martin Luther said it like this in his life, Christ is an example, showing us how to live. In his death, he is a sacrifice, satisfying the payment for our sin. In his resurrection, Jesus is a conqueror. In his ascension, though, he becomes king. And in his intercession for you and me, a high priest. Jesus was a servant. Jesus is a king. And Jesus continues to be your high priest. Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and for me. He's standing there as an intermediary where the Satan would come and accuse you of your past sin. Jesus says, I've already paid the price to cover that sin. Shut your mouth and know your role. Sorry, I was going to finish that statement, but I decided not to finish that statement. He says, no, you don't get to say that. They're mine. And he's out there praying and interceding and standing in the gap for you before God Almighty, saying that you now have access directly to God. You don't need someone on earth to pray for you. You don't need to pray through another saint to get to God. You can talk to God yourself because you have a high priest. His name is Jesus, and he's still alive operating as such. And he's coming again. 
to bring wholeness and complete salvation for those who are eagerly waiting for his return. The ascension into heaven ended Jesus' earthly ministry and mission, but it was the beginning of yours and mine. The ascension was Jesus putting the final stamp saying, I'm king, I'm sitting on my throne. I'm ruling and reigning. The price for sin has been covered. And all who in their allegiance and faith to me want to come and follow as my apprentice can be brought into the family of God, given permission to belong to the people of God, be covered by, my, by the price that I've paid. The price of admission has been taken care of. The price of forgiveness is covered. They can enter in and be justified and find righteousness and begin to receive the life of the Spirit, which is producing a wholeness that I will finish one day when I come. That's why in Ephesians, Paul writes and says, or is it a maybe Philippians, where he says, Christ, who began a good work in you, is faithful to complete it. When? On the day Christ returns. See, your salvation, your being made whole, your being made right, your being placed in the family of God, your being transformed into the image and the likeness of Christ began the day you surrendered and repented. And is a process ongoing until Jesus shows up again. And he says, remain faithful and eagerly wait for him to come. See, the ascension ended his mission and ministry on the earth, but it began ours. And this is what we see in Acts 1 and verse 8. It's the mission of the church. The mission of God's people, those who would follow after him. And in Acts 1.8, he says this, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and up on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Boy, I'm really thankful God added that in there. I'm really thankful the call to bring the gospel message of the kingdom of God available now to all who would put their faith and allegiance in Jesus didn't just stay in Jerusalem. I'm glad it didn't just stay in the Judea region. I'm really glad it didn't just get stuck in Samaria. Because if it did, you wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be in the family of God and I wouldn't be in the family of God. Because we are the ends of the earth. We are the other places where people would dwell and be that would need to know that Jesus is king. Friends, the mission that God has for the people of God is ongoing. That's one of the things about the book of Acts that that kind of baffles a lot of uh, theologians and Bible scholars is that it seems like the book of Acts ends really abruptly. Like there's no like pretty bow on it. And most agreed that the part of the reason for that is because the age of the church, the age of the mission of Jesus to bring renewal in the world is not yet finished. We are in continuation of the age of the church. The age of the time where the Spirit has been poured out. The last days in which we are eagerly waiting for His return. And then He will come back again and finish it all in the renewal in the new heavens and the new earth. We are in that space and time. And the mission that God has given to the church to the, that started with the apostles and has continued on through the ages of time to where we are today is the mission to bring the message of the kingdom everywhere we go. 
Jesus came to start a movement and to renew humanity. He came to start a new family covenant that it was expansive and ever welcoming of every tribe, tongue, and language. See, what Jesus finished at the cross was the redemption of all of humanity. What he commissioned his disciples to do and began after his ascension and the pouring of the Spirit on Pentecost, which we'll read about in a couple weeks, was the commissioning moment of the renewal of all of humanity and the earth that is an ongoing work that we participate in today. It's the second storyline of the Bible that we get to be partners and participants within. Jesus came to redeem a people. Friends, I, I want to tell you that I believe that the mission that God has given his church, capital C, is alive and well today. I believe that the church, the people of God who have given their lives to Jesus and received of his spirit are being still empowered to be witnesses for him everywhere they go. That is part of our mission. In Matthew, I think it's 18, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And hell itself cannot stand me and withstand my building of the church. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, go and make disciples everywhere. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey my commands. The mission to go and bring the gospel message and to be an embodied witness of the life of the Spirit at work in us is our call still today. I believe in the local church. I believe that the local church is an outpost of the place where God is manifesting and working through and in a region. I believe every local church is an outpost for the mission of Jesus in their location and region. I... I'm giving my life for the church, for the mission that God has called his people to go in. I believe that the reason the spirit was poured out was so that the mission has a powerful engine to bring about the transforming work of Jesus. When uh, Amber and I, in September of 2016, uh, it was the third Sunday on September of 2016, that Saturday before we were flying into Kansas City. That time we were living in uh, the North Carolina area and doing ministry, and we'd been out there for about 13 years serving in different capacities. And as we were flying into Kansas City, we were coming out here to interview to become the pastors here at, at Faith. And as we were flying um, into Kansas City, I remember uh, having so many thoughts. I mean, you think going on a one-on-one -on -one job interview is intimidating. Try being interviewed by everybody sitting in a green chair. Thinking, looking, this guy doesn't wear cowboy boots. I don't, I don't think he speaks Kansan at all. Does he even know what a tractor is? 
that was what we were coming into. And I appreciate the, the process with Helsley. The was, process was good. It was so wonderful. It really was. But I was still a little unsettled. Is this the place God wants us to be? More specifically, is this the people God was asking us to serve? See, one thing you need to understand about me is that there are three guiding um, filters and, and, and I'm going to say approaches or philosophies for, for my life and my ministry. Three key things. Number one, I want to commit like a husband commits. I want to lead like a father would lovingly lead. And I want to communicate the truths of who Jesus is in very creative, non-orthodox, but anchored to the truth of who Jesus is in a faithful, faithful way that helps all understand who Jesus is. Those are very passionate elements for me. So it really came down to husband, father, communicator. You want three words. And as we were flying into Kansas City, I remember looking out and thinking to myself and, and I said a little prayer to the Lord. I said, Lord, I, I told you long ago, I said, yes. I told you I'd, I'd serve you. I'd go anywhere. I, I've given my life to you, Lord. My answer is always yes. I just need to know, are these the people you want me to commit and marry and give my life to? Because for me, it wasn't just like a, a yes for now. It was a yes until whenever. It's an open-ended covenant I'm making. I'll never forget the whisper of the Spirit that day. As we began our descent, I just heard the whisper of the Spirit say, these are your people. And tears and all the things, I knew my answer was yes. I love the local church. I believe the local church is the hope to bring to the world. It's God's plan A, and there is no plan B. I also realize the mission of making disciples within a local church is messy. I realize that for many, you've tried church before and been hurt. I know for many, there's been pain associated with gathering with God's people and belonging to a church. Some of you have tried organized religion and it's been excruciating for you. I know some of you have kind of wrestled and there's been this weird entanglement between like the mission of Jesus, the message of Jesus, and the methodology of his people. And some of you have been in a place where the message of Jesus has been handled wrong or untrue or, and all throughout church history, there have been times where the people of God have abused power and manipulated and been greedy and done deep harm to many people. I realize that. Not only in the history of all time, but maybe even in the history of your own lifetime. What I love about the book of Acts is you're going to see some of the really bright moments of the mission of Jesus and the people of God. And you're going to see some moments that are less than pretty and perfect. Because the church is not perfect. 
The people of God are in process of being made whole. Ain't none of us fully there yet. I recognize that for many people, the methods of some in a church have been painful. And for many people, we have left over methods and preference. And there's been divisions and church break. And there's been deep hurt and abuse. And I recognize and I empathize. Some of my deepest betrayals have come from the church. My own personal greatest pains have been in the church. Some of the most confusing moments of my life have come in the church. I've been the subject of slander from my time in the church. I've grown up in the church. 41 years. Don't ever remember a time when church was an option for my life. I've seen highs. I've seen lows. I've seen some good things. I've seen some not good things. But friends... The deepest, the most robust, and the truest healing in my life has also come within the church. There's a huge word floating in our world right now called deconstruction. And many people are dismantling the literature and the philosophies and, and the understanding of what they believe the church is about. And, and sometimes that dismantling is occurring because what they had been taught wasn't really accurate, and that's true. Sometimes it was taught in a way that wasn't healthy, and that's true. And sometimes it was because there were other elements and other flawed things in the place. Methods of the church have a shelf life and need to change. The mission is ever evolving of how we go about and do the work of Jesus. But the message of who Jesus is and his kingdom is unchanging and unshakable. As we begin to study this book, we cannot assume that how the early church did church is how we need to do church. It's a historical account of how they applied. They were ever changing and evolving as a growing movement of people following Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a lot of people that are banging the drum, get back to the original church, let's get back to the Acts 2 church, get back to it. And, and I understand and I empathize with the principles and the things that they're saying. But what we're not saying is, hey, let's get back to living in America like they did before Civil War. That sounds, that's history. Let's get back to that. How does it make sense? I have no desire to wear a white wig and put on some like top hat all the time, please. We don't need to reenact history to experience a move of God like they did in the day. We can learn and understand and subscribe to what they did, but our prayer can honestly and sincerely be, Jesus, you did it in that time. Would you do it in our time as well? The message is unchanging. It's who Jesus is. Jesus told us to make disciples and to teach us to obey. We don't like that obey word, do we? We have often turned the message of Jesus into a transaction of eternal life rather than a transformational work towards eternal life. And where we substitute transformation for a transaction, many people miss the point altogether. 
He told us to make disciples. Nowhere in the teachings of Jesus do we get the idea that we can receive the abundant, full life of God in this life and the world to come simply by agreeing with a set of beliefs. It's about those beliefs becoming embodied in what the Bible would call faith. Faith is an embodied allegiance and loyalty to Jesus based on who we know Jesus to be. He's King and Lord and Savior and God. The message of the church cannot change. We do need to get back to the things that they proclaimed. We do need to get back to seeing the spirit move in our lives. We do need to to reclaim and ask God to do it again and again and again. We cannot just allow the pain of our own experience in the church to throw baby and bathwater out. The remedy for misuse is not disregarding its use. The remedy for misuse is proper use. It's the idea that you were on the horse and you fell off. You get back on the horse. You don't sell the horse. The tire may have gone flat in the car. You don't sell the car. You get a new tire. You've been hurt by the people of God. Me too. My call is to remain faithful to the mission Jesus started. And the people of God and the family of God, global and local, is his mission to make disciples. Jesus said, you're gonna, they're going to know that you're my apprentices by the way you love, not the world and sinner. Not the, the, the one on the outside margins of life, but the way you love other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the call and the command. It's the way that you love the one that you're annoyed by. Jesus said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. But he adds a little phrase in there that most of us skip over. He says, what you've done to the least of these, my brothers and my sisters, you've done to me. We want to help the poor all around the world? Absolutely. We want to help the outcasts and the marginalized and those who are down and out around the world? Absolutely. But the primary way in which we demonstrate and embody our love for Jesus is the way in which we demonstrate and embody love to the people that we sit next to on a Sunday that we call church family. Who's the least of these for you? Is it the person who takes up four parking spaces in our parking lot because they're overcompensating for a small life with a really big truck? Is it the least of these, the one that's always stealing the mints in the lobby? And you don't get any? Is it the person who worships a little bit extra and they just are a little bit annoying up in your space and like, would you just stop? You don't even sing that good. Can you lower the volume? Don't you hear? I'm trying to listen to them sing. Is it the person you said hi to and they didn't respond? Is 
Is it the person that you, you see laughing and they look in your way and then they look back and they talk to somebody else and you're just a sure, a sure, sure thing. They're gossiping and lying and slandering and they're whispering things about you. Who's the least of these? Is it the critic and the criticism? Is it the one that sends you an email on Monday morning telling you about how terrible the sermon was and how you did it wrong and said it wrong? Sorry, this isn't my, theo- my uh, therapy session. I'll get back to just normal. Like, like what, what is it for you? What is it for me? The church is not perfect. But the mission is important. The church is not perfect. The early church wasn't perfect. And if you hang around and get involved in faith church enough, you'll find we're not perfect either. I'm going to probably offend you. I'm going to upset you at some point. I'm going to disappoint your expectations. Just take it to the bank. It's going to happen. But this is still God's plan A. This, it's still the people of God. It's still what he's called us to. He's called us to be a witness to the fact that Jesus is coming in. It's called us to be a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. And he's alive as seen as the people of God who embody him as they assemble together. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10... Paul, or whoever, sorry, I assume Paul, that's not right. We don't really know who wrote Hebrews, but um, I think it was Paul. Uh, This is why he's writing, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to a church, to a people. And he says, don't you understand? You cannot forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some people it's not just about church attendance friends it's about gathering with the people of God to bear witness to the world that Christ was broken but he's alive that we are broken and he is making us brand new that he is coming again and death is just a doorway for us It's to bear witness that we are not bowing to any other idol. No politics, no policy, no person, no activity, no hobby, no possession is worth our allegiance more than Jesus is worth our allegiance. He's the king. And he's worth sitting on the throne of our own life. And he's worth being sung about and enthroned in the praises of all of his gathered people. That there's something to the people of God being transformed into the image of likeness of Christ that come together to be a faithful witness. Friends, being a witness is not memorizing facts about how other people are sinners on their way to hell and telling them about it. That's not the witness that it's talking about. In the Greek, that word witness is the word martyr. Jesus is saying, I'm going to empower you to be a martyr. What needs to die in your life so that Christ's life can flourish? What attitude, what habit, what offense, what anger, what pain, what loss, what tragedy, 
what arrogance, what greed, what desire and passion needs to come under the cross of Christ so that the life of Christ and the Spirit of God can work fully in you and empower you to live out a different story, to be a living, embodied billboard for the resurrected Jesus who is king. What criticism and critique do you need to silence? What gossip do you need to stop? What addiction do you need to seek help with? What brokenness do you need to allow him to make whole? We want to remain faithful. And when we are faithful to come together as the people of God, he promises to give us something. He gives us a gift. You know what that gift is? The gift of his presence. And we are witnesses of the healing presence of the spirit, not the perfection of a life, but the presence of his spirit in our life. That's what we are witnesses to. That's what we're holding to. That's what we are willing to share with others and tell them about how the presence of Jesus is changing our lives. That's why when we gather together and not forsake meeting in one space, not forsake being with the people of God, not, not forsake helping and encouraging one another to acts of love and service, as Hebrews 10 tells us, why? so that we can embody the life of the Spirit among us and see Him working and doing in the life of the people of God. This is the commitment to follow Jesus, to be among his people as imperfect as we all are, but to allow his presence to do a work that allows us to bear witness to the world around us of that work. Oh, how I want us to be a family and a people who remain faithful until he comes. What does the Radiant Church look like? What is the mission of Jesus for you and I? It's to receive the Spirit's work in us in such a way that as we gather together, we are encouraged and strengthened to remain faithful until he comes. To not bail on it, to not quit on it, to not dismember ourselves, but to be membered together as a people, imperfect and annoying and hurtful and kind and forgiving and loving and generous and supportive and devoted and radiant. This is the call to be on mission with Jesus together. And this is what we want to explore together. Would you stand with me? Jesus, you just close your eyes and ask the simple question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Maybe ask the Lord, Lord, where am I currently unfaithful to you?
maybe there's been a pain and a hurt from being in the people of God. It could be in this space or in a previous space. Maybe you just need some healing from Jesus today. You need some wholeness. He wants to give you the gift of his presence in the midst of your own pain. Jesus, we come to you today. And we recognize that you are the king. You've ascended. You are enthroned above all else, including our lives. And so, Lord, we willingly submit to you today, longing to make you king, ruler, Lord, savior, friend, and God in our lives. Lord, where there's been pain, would you begin to bring your presence that brings healing? God, where there's been disappointment, would you help us to be revived and renewed and to think and dream again? God, where we have gotten off mission of being a faithful witness. We've been faithful to a lot of things, but maybe it wasn't faithfulness to you. God, would you forgive us and help us to remain faithful to you and who you are in your kingdom. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.